Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital podcast. Today's guest is Jessica Droste-Yagen. Jessica is the CEO of Impact Engine. Impact Engine is an investment firm that manages funds to invest in for-profit, positive impact businesses. Previously, Jessica led the creation of sustainable supply chains for McDonald's. She serves on a number of boards of socially oriented companies and nonprofits in the Chicago area. Jessica has also committed her personal portfolio to impact investments. Let's dive in. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Jessica is here with us in person in Dallas, and we are really excited to have this conversation with you. In the Beyond Capital studio. That's right. I want to talk about your background first and what led you to join Impact Engine. You led a pioneering team at McDonald's that developed the first sustainable sourcing strategy for the company. What was your experience like working in an environmental impact at such a large company? Sure. I, uh, I first joined McDonald's sort of with the broader lens of how can I think about linking profit and social good at scale in a big publicly traded corporation um, but it was pretty apparent once I got there that supply chain was where the opportunity was. So at the time, the supply chain was about $20 billion, um, food and packaging from around the world. And in my role of looking for the win-wins or the things that could both improve the business and improve social and environmental outcomes, um, the supply chain was full of them. So looking at things like how to improve assured supply and reduce volatility, how to save money through energy efficiency or waste reduction, um, how to reduce brand risk, et cetera. Finding those opportunities um, was a really fun thing to do, but also a very impactful thing to do. Because when you find things that drive business success, um, they're not going to go away at the next downturn in the economy. Um, they're going to keep going as long as the business is, is moving forward and profitable. Yeah, and, and McDonald's being such a large company has a potential to garner a tremendous amount of impact. So that must have been really rewarding for you to work on that project. Yeah, I'm, I'm really drawn toward things that, that feel like they have leverage or, or layers of impact. Um, and what I loved about my work at McDonald's is not only the direct impact you could have on a $20 billion supply chain, but also the fact that McDonald's was one of the early movers in the restaurant and food industry on sustainable sourcing. So what McDonald's was doing was not only impacting its own supply chain, but becoming um, a catalyst to move some of the largest food suppliers in the world in this direction and also some of their peers in the restaurant industry. So what would be like an example of that? So an example of that would be um, sustainable fishing. Um, McDonald's was one of the earliest players to move toward certified sustainable fish. Um, even before that, they really moved toward changing where they sourced fish because of overfishing leading to pricing volatility and higher prices. So they understood very early on the linkages between, again, business success and sustainability success. In this case, 
and started a policy toward moving toward better managed fisheries for their sourcing. Um, over time, they also started to understand that if they could get certified and get the credibility, they could communicate that to consumers. And I think that's, again, where another layer of impact comes in because of their voice with so many consumers, bringing up the fact that the fish is sustainably sourced actually introduces so many more people to the fact that fish could be sustainably sourced. And maybe they wouldn't have even been asking that question before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to know also, having had this professional experience, what you see the role of business in our society as and how that might play into impact investing. So I think um, if I could take it one step higher, um, maybe the role of capitalism in our society, um, of course, business is, is a big part of that. But um, you know, to me, capitalism has been an amazing, sort of beautiful, elegant system um, and helped align resources. It's, it's almost effortless. You know? when, when there's profit, it brings together capital, it brings together people, it brings together efforts, and it's, it's had a lot of positive impacts in the world. Um, my opinion is just that we haven't demanded enough of it. So we have this beautiful system, and all we demand to come out of it is profit or money. Um, and actually, supply and demand, the heart of capitalism, can work for many different dimensions. And we're really starting to see it putting uh, investments as one example, but maybe something that everyone can identify with, which is as a consumer. You know, it used to be you'd say, I demand a hot cup of coffee that tastes good at a good price in a convenient location. And that's what restaurants provided. Now people are saying, I demand all that, plus knowing that my coffee was grown by someone who's paid well, or who's not living in poverty, or who's not you know, abusing the environment. And so we're getting that too when we demand it. And I think, same with impact investing, there's this opportunity to take this sort of beautiful, efficient system of capitalism and demand more of it. So as investors, we can say, yes, I want to make money, um, but also I demand that you do it in a way that's aligned with my values or that's solving an important problem. I love that vision of capitalism doing more, expecting more of it. In my early career, I spent almost a year in Russia, in the Soviet Union, working in a Russian military factory. And there's no better example of how distorted things get in a command and control economy than just spending a year over there and seeing how things go. So definitely we have it better. Um, as I was um, just thinking about you know, how well you said that, I'm wondering, when did you get into this what was your story? Were you always interested in impact investing or is it recent or like, what is your story about this? Now you're a powerhouse, but um, some point. So I would say um, I've been an impact investor um, since 2012, officially. That's when I really got into impact investing. But to me, my work in impact investing is an extension of my work in this intersection of capitalism and social good, and the work that I did at McDonald's, and before that, the work that I did in urban economic development. Um, and I would say where it started for me to think about the intersection of capitalism and social good was actually, um, when I was a senior in college, I was majoring in public policy. I really wanted to make the world a better place, tackle some of the world's problems, and I really understood that the way you did that was through government or nonprofits. Um, and probably working against capitalism along the way. Um, and that's what everybody around me thought as well. But I was lucky enough in my senior year of college to 
be in a, an urban economics class at Wharton, actually, and um, got exposed to this idea of investing in high-poverty urban areas to create sustainable jobs and wealth. And it was presented in such a different way, which was actually about investing. It was actually about leveraging capitalism. And for me, that was an aha moment of, oh, it's not something to work against. It's something we should be using much more intentionally. And it's so powerful in a good way when we can use it intentionally. Um, so that really sparked my passion. Um, and like I said, sort of led back into this career, which went from sort of an uh, sort of more operating perspective at McDonald's on sustainable sourcing to now from an investment perspective. But it's this similar way of thinking where sort of looking for that intersection and trying to make those intersections come to life. Let's segue to Impact Engine. What was the genesis of the firm and its investment strategy? So Impact Engine was founded by two women in Chicago who worked at Booth and Kellogg, um, Linda Dara and Jamie Jones. I knew them and was one of their first investors in 2012. Um, they were observing a lot of interest in impact investing and social entrepreneurship from their business school students at those two business schools and recognizing that there wasn't much of a community in Chicago for them to plug into. Um, they wanted to help kind of create that community, so they founded Impact Engine as an accelerator program. So a cohort-based, super early-stage entrepreneurs. Um, they raised some amount of money from investors to put some dollars into those entrepreneurs, but mostly what they got was a ton of mentorship. Um, they sat in person in th for three months in Chicago. Um, the, the first managing director was Chuck Templeton, who was the founder of Open Table and brought a really high-quality perspective to the table in terms of mentorship. Um, and it started to build this interest from the local investor community. What is impact investing? Is it really true that you can make money and do good? It started this com conversation and this ecosystem. I was part of that as one of the first investors. I was part of the people kind of coming to the events, um, angel investing in some of the companies. And of course, based on what I just told you about my career, um, I totally bought into the concept and believed it right away and really honestly was surprised at myself for not thinking of it before. <laughs> um, given the work I was doing at McDonald's, I wasn't thinking about it with my investor hat on personally until then. And so essentially, fast forward two years, I'd gotten more involved. Um, there was an opportunity to kind of take Impact Engine to the next level. Um, and that's when I joined six years ago with my partner, Tasha, and we've helped build Impact Engine um, beyond the accelerator to a venture capital and private equity firm. And you mentioned that there was kind of the initial accelerator phase. And we on this podcast have talked to a lot of leaders that have almost as an, a secondary factor integrated uh, social or environmental criteria into their companies. But I know from knowing a little bit about Impact Engine, but also a little bit of what you said, that there was a primary focus on social impact amongst the companies that you were working with. Um, why do you think certain startups think about social impact early on? And is it, a, is it a kind of younger generation of entrepreneurs that are looking to develop a strong social mission? What's your view on that from just kind of the 10,000 foot view? I think for, for most people, whether it be, you know, starting an accelerator or a fund or a company, um, what this is true of many things, right? When you see something that you haven't that you haven't seen before, it kind of gives you the idea that it's possible. And ten years ago, there were very few people out there talking about a business strategy that goes with a social or environmental return, either as an operator or as an investor. And so they had this sort of few weird rogue people like me, sort of saying, "This isn't a crazy idea." 
Um, but now, fast forward to today, there are so many people talking about it. There are so many examples. I believe that that's why this next generation is seeing this sort of everywhere they turn. And I think when you see something, somebody else doing something, it just gives you this sense that, oh, this is a way things can be done. And it's leading people to start from the very beginning with that mindset, as opposed to, I think, 10 years ago, or especially when I was graduating from college, there was this sense, if you wanted to make the world a better place, you got to start a nonprofit. Now that's not the assumption. It could be, oh, should I be a nonprofit or a for-profit? You know, there's this sort of open question about business model. Yeah, I always like to say, once you learn about the fact that social or environmental factors can be integrated into either your investments or your business, you can't unlearn that. Yeah, exactly. So you now at Impact Engine oversee a $25 million venture fund and also a private equity fund and the total amount of assets under management around $52 million. Correct. Tell us what distinguishes those two funds. Maybe give us a few examples of what you invest in. Sure. So our venture capital fund invests in seed and series A stage software companies. Um, we look for product-based impact, meaning the product the company sells to make money is also where the impact happens. The product is impactful. Um, we focus specifically on four impact areas, education, health, economic empowerment, and environmental sustainability. Um, and we're investing in companies that are typically sort of just post-product market fit. So they have some revenue, they have some evidence that somebody wants to buy their product. Um, and then we're going to test that the impact is really built into the product. So it's really hard to peel it apart. And there are trade-offs between profit and, financial, and, profit and social return. Um, the private equity fund is very similar in that it has the same four impact focus areas, but looking at much later stage companies. So this is growth equity to buyout, type private equity, um, and not limiting to software, um, also not limiting to direct deals. So that fund is investing in direct deals as well as funds. Um, we found that the kind of later stage private equity impact investing universe is much less built out and developed. And so um, it helps us both catalyze the market to invest in both funds and directs, but also helps sort of broaden the aperture on the types of opportunities and diversification that we want in the fund. That's pretty interesting. I know for, for my company, um, you know, one of the things that um, we learned as we went through our B Corp certification was the difference between measuring outputs and outcomes and actually sort of thinking, um, well, what impact is our product having on people? And it's quite hard to do in some cases. I think um, in our case in particular, related to helping people grow more authentic and stronger relationships to make their life happier. It's interesting how to measure that. Um, and I know here it says in, in the notes that um, you go through this lengthy process, this impact process, and that they have to report on this. So I was wondering if you could just shed a little light on how you choose those metrics and um, how you think about measuring mm -hmm. sort of the impact mm -hmm. of these companies. Yeah, so um, we go into each investment um, sort of early in the due diligence. It might be a little bit more qualitative. Um, we're asking ourselves sort of the high-level questions, like is the impact tied to how they make money and core to the business model? Is the entrepreneur driven by impact in part? Things like that. As we get convinced that we believe it's there, that we go deeper into 
Like, for example, how do we know that this particular product improves education or improves health? What evidence is there? Um, as we start to think about metrics is where we get serious about, could we actually measure this? Um, we think of metrics in three ways. Um, there's three types of metrics that we try to create for each company. One is around scale. So if you have a really great product, um, but three people use it, not, not high impact. So we're looking at, you know, kind of how big can you be and what is your reach? Second is effectiveness. So that's kind of the depth of the impact. So um, if 300,000 people use your product, but it actually doesn't improve education, that's also not impactful. So we're looking for, does the product actually improve the thing it says it improves, and how do we measure that? And then third is accessibility. So that's who gets to use the product. Um, and to give an example of something we wouldn't invest in, um, if there's an education product that could be very big and is effective at improving education, but it's only private payer to private school parents, um, that's not going to be accessible for us. So the people that most need it aren't going to be able to get it. So we try to create metrics along each of those three dimensions for each company. Um, and if we've done our job picking companies where the impact is driving the business, then these are metrics they typically are or should be already collecting. So for example, if you're selling something that's supposed to prove health, improve health outcomes, then measuring how you improve health outcomes should benefit your marketing materials and your sales. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, accessibility is interesting because in the B Corp process, they ask a lot about um, do you charge more to small companies than big ones, mm. which is kind of another way of getting at that same question, which is like, um, you know, or is it really something that anybody can afford or is it really just for big companies to buy? Um, it's just an interesting angle. Absolutely. When I think about impact investing, I think across the board, with exceptions of maybe ESG or environmental, social, or governance or um, sustainable investments in liquid markets, I believe that being active is key. Um, I know you do the same at Impact Engine, particularly with your private equity portfolio. How do you engage with your companies to encourage them to keep thinking strategically about their social impact? What does that look like in your portfolio? Yeah, so um, we're engaged with the company as sort of across the board. Um, on one level, it's just about building their business because you know once we've convinced ourselves that their product is highly impactful, our biggest focus is about, okay, how do we get it to as many people as possible? So these are very typical business challenges that they're facing around hiring, sales, et cetera. Um, within that, I think there's a couple of ways that impacts kind of comes to the front repeatedly. One is we collect the impact impact metrics formally twice a year from each company. And so as we're getting those results back, we can have conversations with them about, oh, here we see a disconnect between revenue growth and impact growth. Why is that happening? Or uh, they might say, you know what, we can't, we can't give you this metric because we stopped measuring it. And we can have a conversation, well, why? Or we might say, hey, you know, you used to not be able to measure the effectiveness of this particular application of your product, but now you have enough in the market, you could. Can we add that metric? So that's kind of the, the product-based impact conversation that we can have. And then secondarily, I would call it more the ESG or sort of B Corp type metric conversations, which is about how you run your business, sort of the process of running your business. Um, and those are things that we can bring up um, opportunistically as we see opportunities to bring them up. And we try to focus on those issues that are most material to each business. Um, so not just willy-nilly, well, why aren't you giving back to charity? 
Um, but sort of understanding, for example, diversity is a metric that's going to be key to almost every company. And so if we start to see a particular board makeup or an executive team makeup that's veering toward not being diverse, it's something we might bring up and say like, hey, this is going to start to become a problem for you because the bigger you get with a non-diverse team, the harder it's going to be to fix it later. I'm curious, um, since your venture fund focuses mostly on seed and series A, that the companies that are doing well, many of them would go look for series B or additional capital. So how do you think about those investors coming in? Um, I'm sure it's case by case, but if you can give us any insight into, like, are there certain people that you would just be like, there's no way that's going to work? Or would you are there mm-hmm. or do you actually see like regular investors coming into your deals now as sort of I don't want to say playing along, but they might think of that transactionally that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering, do you th- can they play in that space? Do they mm-hmm. um, authentically or inauthentically, or do you just avoid them completely? What is the story it, there? It depends what you mean by play in the space. Um, we co-invest with you know, quote unquote, regular investors all the time in the rounds we're in, as well as, you know, when they come in as, as later stage follow on investors, um, maybe, you know, a non-impact investor might lead the next round. Um, so we, we think of it in a couple of ways. One is um, it's totally fine with us. So long as we feel we've done our diligence, that the impact is baked in to the product they sell, which means that even if the other investor doesn't care about the impact, they just care about the financial return, they can't actually go in and peel it out. It's not Uh like saying, oh, we're going to pay our employees more, and then somebody who comes in and invests who doesn't care, they say, why are we paying our employees more? Dial back those wages. It's not the same with the impact being in the product. So that's one way we think about it, both from a follow-on investor perspective as well as an exit perspective. Uh How can we protect the impact? It's baked into the business value. Um, the other thing we will try to do, though, just because we do think having more impact investors at the table is better, um, is you know we we know the impact investing ecosystem. Um, as a company is starting to think about what that next round looks like and who they should be talking to, we will obviously go out of our way to make introductions to other impact investors or aligned investors that we've worked with and think highly of in case that's a direction that it could go. Okay, cool. So part of your impact strategy is to think about the five P's. Tell us what the five P's are and how that framework manifests itself in your portfolio. Sure. Um, So the five P's is um, kind of how we think about the different ways that impact investing can have impact. Um, Really, our our venture fund um, is pretty exclusively focused on two of the P's, which are product and paradigm. So the product P means the impact comes through the product that the company sells, which I've explained already. Paradigm is um, the case where maybe it's harder to draw a direct one-to-one from what the company does to an exact impact on the ground today, but somehow the company is creating the infrastructure or the pipes needed in the system for an impact to be had in the future. So as an example, we have a company in our portfolio called Measurable, which is helping um, commercial real estate managers collect better data on energy and carbon efficiency. Um, And we can't exactly draw a direct line between every building that's using their data analytics and data collection system and lower energy um, usage in those buildings. But we do believe that if better data exists in that space, 
then many other players will use that data to make decisions, including investors, and then it will shift the industry as a whole. So that would be an example of paradigm. Um, the other three Ps are people, place, and process. Um, people would be thinking about, for example, um, gender diversity, racial diversity, um, people who might specifically target investing in women entrepreneurs would be an example of people impact. Um, place would be, you know, hey, I'm in Dallas. I really care about creating jobs and wealth in Dallas, so I'm only going to invest here, and I'm going to measure the impact I've had on this place. Um, and then process would be, um, for example, typically like um, what we talked about, the B Corps, or what I did at McDonald's, which is it didn't fundamentally change the business or what they sell, um, but it was very important from an impact perspective because even though McDonald's was still selling hamburgers, everything about how they got the hamburger and made the hamburger and sold the hamburger could still be better along the way. Um, so from our perspective, like I said, the venture fund uses the product and paradigm piece. Um, our private equity fund is actually much broader. So it will look across all of the piece and look at any strategy where we believe, again, that the social impact is totally baked into the business model. That's great. I, I love that framework. We, I, I think it just simplifies and provides our listeners with almost a little bit of their own tips and, and a roadmap to think about their own investments. I really need to point out that you have an entirely female-owned firm and it's led by mostly women. Um, I think it's just worth addressing as well uh, from the perspective of how did that come about? Was it intentional? Um, and how, how does your com company culture reflect uh, a workplace that is mostly driven by women? Um, yeah, so we are a women-led, women-owned firm. Um, and that very much does stand out in the venture capital, private equity industries. Um, it wasn't an intentional strategy. It was sort of how things came to be. Um, as I mentioned, our first managing director was actually Chuck Templeton, um, great guy who I respect a ton. But after he left, my partner Tasha Seitz and I came on board. Um, we were the two partners, and we were two women. And I think, um, I'm not sure exactly how, but I do believe when you have different networks, different experiences, you kind of meet different people and ask different questions. And so I, I love the fact that we have a very diverse deal flow. Um, we've invested in half women entrepreneurs. Um, some people assume, oh, you're a women-led fund. You're probably investing in all women. But that doesn't have to be the case. Sometimes um, I get confused by that. Because, cause, yeah. you know, as I've looked at potential partnerships, um, some firms are like that. Yeah. And so it's a little bit hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think it's fine if you are really transparent. Like, we are a gender lens fund. We want to invest in women. Like, that's an okay strategy, um, which I support. That's not what we're trying to do. I think what we have found is, again, by virtue of who we are and our experiences, we have drawn other people to us, and we've brought other people into Impact Engine. And that reflects in the diversity of the people we invest in, but also the people who have joined the team since we did six years ago. Um, so I think we're about two-thirds women on the team now. And um, that's really by no means a, an intentional uh, ratio. Honestly, I probably think you know more of a 50-50 gender mix would be ideal, and I would love to have more racial diversity on our team as well. Um, we've seen so many times how different perspectives in the room when making investment decisions is so valuable. 
um, and even in types of diversity that you wouldn't normally think of right away. So, for example, um, my partner, Roger Liu, he is an engineer. He's a, he was a software engineer originally. He's a serial CTO. Um, even having him in the room where we're talking to an entrepreneur that sometimes maybe um, doesn't come across as, you know, as gregarious and, and excited, um, and we'll say, oh, we just didn't really feel any energy, didn't seem excited about it, and I'll just say, well, like, well you know, he's... He's a software engineer, <laughs> like, you know, and, and let's, and not that that is necessarily true of every software engineer, but it's like, well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's his style. You know, I want to talk to him again. So, but that's one that without Roger in the room, we may have just said, no, it's not a fit. Um, so I love having all kinds of diversity on the team and hopefully we can continue to improve that over time. There's a lot of bias against introverts out there because they don't yeah. make their own case, but they have a lot to offer. Yeah. Yes. So turning perhaps to you, you are also an impact investor yourself, as you have mentioned and we've pointed out as well in your own personal portfolio. What's your story into, in relation to impact investing and how did you personally take the first step? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, I got introduced to the idea of impact investing through Impact Engine and I was already a very big believer that, you know, profit and social good could go hand in hand, but I was really only thinking about it from a sort of operational sort of business perspective, not as an investor. Um, but like you said, once you know something, you can't unknow it. As soon as I knew about Impact Engine and invested in Impact Engine, I just immediately started thinking about my other investments or our, our other investments, my husband and I. And wait, why haven't I been asking questions? Why, why don't I know what I'm invested in? How do I know if it's aligned with my values? How do I know if what I'm giving money to philanthropically isn't you know, fixing something that my investment dollars might have contributed to? Um, so we started down a path of first asking a lot of questions. Um, in addition to investing in Impact Engine, we started doing some kind of ESG screen public equities funds and going down that path. Um, and then the more I learned and then, you know, joined the field for full time and started to see all the interesting models and all the up and coming funds and, and cool ideas and different asset classes, um, I really started to believe that it was possible to try to get to 100% um, across all asset classes. And so my husband and I agreed to set that target a few years ago. And we've worked really hard to try to find the right advisors and the right funds um, so that we could maintain our goal of, you know, market rate returns um, and not change our asset allocation targets because we have the same risk return profile, but to layer impact on top of that and to try to get as much impact as possible across the board. Um, so we've made some good progress, um, still a journey, but I remain convinced that it's very possible and it actually becomes more possible every year that goes by because there are so many more people in the space and products in the space. So let me turn the clock back. So let's say that I'm like 29 years old, just a few years younger than I am right now. And I have like $10,000 to invest. I'm not even an accredited investor, let's say. Um, or maybe I'm kind of on the borderline. I'm a professional. I make pretty good money. And I'm just excited about this. I'm hearing this. And I'm thinking like, where do I start? So do you have any quick advice for somebody like that? Is it just you know, invest in some public funds or is it, do I try to get into some local impact deals? 
Obviously, it's going to be a little bit dependent on the individual's risk tolerance and so on, but I'm just wondering if someone had 10000 in their pocket and they just wanted to get started, what are some of the options in front of them? Well, one thing would, that would come to mind is um, typically, you know, let's say you have $10,000 in your pocket. Um, Burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> um, for a lot of people, that would be probably in, like, in their 401k or already in some kind of an account, like a mutual fund or something. Um, and one of the things you can do is just, again, go start asking questions. I find that for a lot of people, it's overwhelming to think about, well, what should I do? But you can start with at least what am I doing now? What are the other options that already exist? Um, and if it is a 401k, if there isn't an option that you can check a box and say, I'd like the sustainable version of the 401k you know, fund, um, that's something you can ask your employer, like, hey, or, or create a petition, right, and start a conversation in your company. We'd like an option to be able to check this box on a sustainable investment. Um, beyond that, I mean, there's a couple of things I've come across that seem um, very well done. Uh, one is called Open Invest. It's an option um, for kind of smaller amounts and a little bit more hands-on to kind of track what you own and, and how it's going um, in the public equity space. And another one um, kind of in more of the fixed income space is C-Note, um, which again is, a, is at accessible amounts, um, invests in community development finance institutions, um, in loans and, for example, women-led businesses or minority-led businesses or particular you know, states or locations that you care about. I know you have three kids, Jessica. Um, and for me, I always hope that impact investing will be something that I can talk to my kids about in explaining the potential that money has. What's your perspective on your personal investing and how it relates to your family? Yeah, it's something um, my husband and I think about a lot and talk about a lot. And, um, you know, I think a couple of things. My kids are, are still pretty young, so five, nine, and 11. Um, and one thing I think that's very important, um, which isn't so much exactly about money, but I feel like it's the foundation for kind of just how I want them to think in general, which is um, to understand what it means to be you know, a citizen and part of a community and to understand that that's a give and a take. And so we do a lot of engagement, especially in the Chicago community, with our kids um, and have those conversations. So they can see kind of what they're using that someone else gave, you know, like the local park, um, and then also that they have the capacity to give. And, and what I mean by give in this case is their time. Um, but I think that helps translate well and helps them understand, again, this is my community, and these are the types of things that need to be done. Um, and, I, and I think that will translate well to thinking about you know, how, how money plays in. In terms of um, investing, what we started to talk about a lot is just um, how people make money. Like what are the various ways people make money through salary, through inheritance, through inventing something, through starting a company, et cetera. And we talk about all the barriers that are in place for many people and each of those ways to make money. So how it's not really necessarily an equal playing field. Um, and we talk about how maybe we can use part of our money to help um, make that playing field more equal. So it's still at a pretty high level, um, but it's really, really important to us that um, we indoctrinate our kids <laughs> and that they continue the work hopefully someday of our um, 100% goal. And hopefully we will have met it, but they can dial up the impact even more. It makes a big difference. I know for my college-age children, 
the um, this podcast and other things resonate a lot with their perspectives. And that was something I wasn't really expecting, but I'm really stoked about it. Yeah. So your 11-year-old won't be long before he or she? She. She, before she is paying attention to what kind of car you're driving. Yeah. It'll even be the why do you have this huge SUV mm-hmm. um, question. And there's a lot more behind that question than you than you think. Um, it's a very interesting dynamic, and it's definitely best to do the right thing, and you know, you're setting a good example for them, and, and I'm sure that that will make a big difference. It's important for every parent, I think. Yeah, I agree. My son always talks about Trash Island, and he's five. Thinking about Impact Engine in five, ten years, what mark do you see the work that you're doing with your investments in the firm as leaving on the world? Yeah, I mean, I think um, at the most basic level, if we can get a bunch of our entrepreneurs to be super successful, that means that we've scaled whatever the impact is that they started with at a very significant level. So there's that direct impact. Um, At a higher level, though, Impact Engine is a public benefit corporation, um, which means that in addition to, in in our governance documents, we are beholden to shareholders, but also to the advancement of our public benefit. And our public benefit is to increase the amount of investors and capital being intentional about aligning financial and social returns. Um, and the, I believe the most important way we do that is actually through having great products that people can invest in and continuing to prove the point that you can actually make money and do good at the same time. So that ties back to the successful companies again. But I think it has this knock-on effect, which is that as more and more investors see these examples and see that it's possible, more and more investors will go down this path of becoming impact investors which helps us accomplish our mission. I predict you're going to grow a lot. That's good. my prediction. Good. <laughs> That's um, what you want. And I'm usually pretty good at predicting things. So. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you, Jessica. Thank you so much for your time and the energy that you put behind the work that you do in such an authentic way. I think it really shows. And also for us, we're trying to join that mission of helping people understand that all sorts of performance beyond just financial performance is possible in business. And so we're definitely partners in that. And it's been great to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. It's been so much fun. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.